Hello, Brain Allies. You're listening to Brains Out Loud, where we talk about important topics surrounding mental health, from our personal life to our work life and everywhere in between. Our goal is that through these conversations, we can help others prioritize mental health on an equivalent level to physical health. This is your co-host, Juliette, speaking. And today I am here with the CEO and co-founder of the Jordan Porco Foundation, Marisa Jarnello Porco. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you, Juliet, for having me. I'm very honored to be on your show. Well, we really appreciate it. And we are very impressed by all the work that you've done in this space. It's been a, a huge inspiration to us. So we'd love to learn a little bit more about your journey. Um, and I'd like to start by just asking, what is the Jordan Porco Foundation and what was your inspiration behind starting it? Okay, well, thank you. Um, I lost my son 10 years ago to suicide. He was a college freshman and um, he was the last kid that you would think that would die by suicide. And uh, he had a, was going to college with um, his friends. It was first choice college. He liked to snowboard. He was active in high school. He worked, he volunteered. He had a lot of friends. He's just an average kid, right? And um, when I got the call in February when he died, um, first of all, obviously you can imagine I'm extremely shocked. Like, you know, he was up in Vermont. I'm like, oh my God, you got the wrong kid, right? Yeah. And um one of the things that kind of came out of it is that if Jordan could die by suicide, this could happen to anybody. And we needed to make something good come out of his death. And um, ironically enough, I'm a social worker. I've worked in a bunch of different capacities um, uh, for the state of Connecticut and Department of Children and Families and different local mental health authorities. So I kind of risk management was what I did, you know, compliance work, risk management. And it was like a double slap to have this happen in my own family when we really mental health conversations were not a taboo subject in my home. I mean, we, um, you know, there was a lot of times when people would come to me asking for help for their kids or what, whatever was going on in their family. And, and certainly we had, this, we had these conversations in our, in our home. And I always had these conversations with my kids because that's kind of just the environment that it was. And so one of the things that we developed early on, and it really was a kitchen table conversation with some really creative people. And I just want to remind anybody listening that we didn't do this alone at all. We had a team of people and people who knew Jordan and family, friends, and um, an initial board of directors that really wanted to see us succeed with this vision that we had. And so the vision was really born out of an idea, simple idea. What kind of event would my son have attended? He would have never attended a mental health event. He would have never gone to a suicide prevention event. So we came up with this concept called Fresh Check Day, right? And it's a celebratory uh, mental health suicide prevention fair run by the peers on campus. Like there's different student groups and all the activities in the booth are interactive. Um, so it's not like your typical, and again, we're thinking about something that was like 10 years ago, not a typical tabling thing where you get a flyer and just kind of find it in the garbage later. We wanted to have the conversation during some activities and we wanted incentives for participation, food, music, therapy dogs, t-shirt giveaways, all kinds of things that attract a college student to attend an event like this. Mm -hmm. And, um, and one of the things about Fresh Check Day is you never really know who's going to show up. It could be somebody who's just heading to class or hears something outside their dorm room or, you know, just kind of stumbles on it by mistake. And, um, and so it's got this wide net for participation, right? And it's a primary prevention program when we're talking about this in the field. Um, 
And, um, and, and part of it has a little suicide, one of the booths is mandatory, has a suicide prevention message. But the, I think one of the things um, about this college program is that it's really about um, kind of getting people where they're at, right? So it may not be that someone attending is struggling, but maybe their roommate is, or their friend is, or um, they're not really feeling connected, or they feel like they're alone and that nobody else is experiencing what they're experiencing, right? Um, maybe they want to just, you know, sometimes and everybody tells you during orientation where the counseling center is, but really, is anybody really paying attention? But it's yeah. really cool if the counseling center is there. And oftentimes they are the, the point person that we're organizing with, you know, this event with. And, um, you know, kind of a friendly face behind a booth doing something fun. And then in other times there's uh, either substance abuse screening or depression screening which really all of a sudden kids think, well, this is part of the event, I'm gonna do it anyway, right? And so we have some amazing stories about the impact of having a, a depression screening during these events in terms of the, some of the outcomes, right? And um, so really we, we piloted this program back in 2012, really being peer-centered and we're now we're in 43 states and over 250 colleges across the country. And we are, for many colleges, a tradition on campus. Um, as part of their mental health messaging and suicide prevention message. So again, really a simple concept, but really only came out because I have a, you know, we, we kind of took off in Connecticut the first couple of years and really had a great team of people rallying um, for this to be work, to work out. And kids had fun and got the message at the same time. So. And you mentioned that you were very surprised when you found out about your son. When you go back and think about his life before he passed away, were there any signs that you can now recognize or was it something that was just still a complete and utter shock? I think it was a complete and utter shock because, you know, in high school, you know, my house, the kids, everybody came to my house, right? This, the, the kids hung out and we had family vacations and we, everything that was going on and everything that he was going through, you know, it was, if, if, there, if there was anything we thought, it's just normal adolescent behaviors, right? He's a growing, growing young man. Um, what happened um, during the winter break was, uh, and it's a, it's really, you know, when we talk about suicides, it's always a confluence of factors, right? It's never just one thing. And I think a lot of times people just want to point the finger, oh, it was this, or it was this, you know what I mean? Or, and I can tell you with all honesty that it was so many different things. Um, one of the conversations we had with Jordan um, was he kind of thought everybody had it figured out. Everybody else had it figured out in terms of what he was doing. And we had said to him, hey, Jordan, you don't have to go back. You can take a gap year. I mean, we were totally all about that. You know, I don't think every 17, 18 year old knows what they want to do for the rest of their life. Right. And especially in Europe, people do take gap years. It's not a it's a kind of a normal transition time. Right. To kind of figure it out. He we also looked at his course load and said, you know, God, you're, you're taking a whole bunch of heavy things. Like, you know, maybe you lighten your load a little bit. Don't make, don't, don't be so heavy on yourself with like these philosophy classes. And so we, we tried to advise him and he said, you know what? And then he was thinking maybe he'd want to change majors. There was a college down the street in, in Vermont that might have had something more adaptable to him, but you know, he's with, with friends. And again, all this stuff I think felt as a fail, like, a, like he would be a failure if he couldn't figure it out. Um, one of the other things we found out is that um, there was a lot of, um, he was smoking a lot of pot, 
like just going to put it out there, right? And I know we're legalizing marijuana, and there, but the reality is, my son had um, some uh, physical health issues related to allergies and some conditions that. Um, and I've talked to so many other moms who feel the same way. It almost it's almost like people are kind of a not even not even necessarily ashamed, but it's def definitely the audience, right? Because it's not like everybody's smoking pot, but not everybody's dying by suicide, right? But I think that for some of us, we really believe that if you had the genetic makeup that was a little bit different and you had the gene receptors and some of the stuff that I know we're, is being taught and being researched, um, I think that may have had that and the stress of college, a really, really tough winter up in Vermont. I think it was the first time in 30 years I had closed down because there was like feet of snow. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so you have that seasonal effective, you had genetic, right? A genetic predisposition. We have people and on both sides of the family that struggle with mental health issues. I mean, we knew this, we talked about it, right? Um, put that all together and the impulsivity of a young man, you know, who's dealing with a bunch of different things. And really that's, uh, and I think he put a lot of um, pressure on himself. Um, and um, I think he appreciated the, the privilege of being able to go to college, but I think, you know what I mean? It's, it was a little bit of everything. Um, and so in retrospect, a lot of the stuff we didn't know right away, um, after we had gotten his bank statements, we had realized he was blowing through all the money he had saved from working over the break and during summer, which he hadn't done for a semester. So there, and he was started chain smoking, something that he didn't do before. He was smoking cigarettes like night nonstop and um, had lost when we had not seen him for 30 days after we had dropped him off and he had lost a lot of weight. So there was just a little bit here and a little bit there. Um, and, um, you know, just, I, again, I, I think that when you're in that really dark place, um, and I know I've been in a really dark place, you know, um, different points in my life, but also, especially after this, the, the death of my son, um, and the anxiety and panic attacks and experiencing all that, um, we felt that part of the programming would be to educate others about warning signs in a very brief way. And I think, um, as a social worker, I've been a social worker since 1986, <laughs> a really, really long time. Um, you know, there was a thinking that the only person, or the only people that really could have these conversations were, cl were clinical, you know, people trained clinicians, right? Clinicians that were trained or doctors or whatever. And I think what we're finding out is that the most important peer support, right? And everybody can learn to ask a question. And, and, and you know, when you, look, when you think about things like QPR, right? It's like, it's like CPR. We can teach anybody how to do CPR. We can teach people what warning signs are. We can ask, teach them how to ask a question. Um, and that really suicide prevention is everybody's responsibility. So we kind of wanted to kind of put that into that program, program so that we could just raise awareness. Because if it's, it's never on anybody's radar. And I know that, Jordan's death impacted our community at large in terms of everybody kind of started looking at their kids a little differently. And, um, you know, and I know some people asked the questions or some people started reading their kid's diary, you know, like things that we don't realize or we didn't realize how, um, how much our kids were struggling um, especially even like, I think now we, we know it more, but even in 2011 with the onset of the smartphone and, and just social media being, you know, just bubbling out there and this whole, 
kind of the impressions that I think everybody has, adults and kids, everybody else's life is perfect, right? And it's not real. It's just not real. So kind of bringing all that stuff to the table is why we, why we built what we did. And I think that, and why it's been successful because it really resonated. Um, there's a concept in su suicide prevention called postvention is that if there's a suicide in your community, there's a right way to handle it and there's a wrong way to handle it, right? And obviously I know a heck of a lot more than I did 10 years ago, but what I did find out after Jordan died was that there were some suicides in the community up in Vermont and they were literally kind of swept under the rug. There was no conversation with the students. And we know between social media and some of our communities are, especially like in a, in a state like Connecticut, our, our towns are small, you know? Everybody kind of knows something. And then there were three suicides, two up there and one in our, in our community, not necessarily in my town, but in, in this period of time. And we know that there's a contagion effect especially for young people. There's some research out there that suggests there might be some contagion effect for adults uh, and how we portray this information in the media and how we handle it as an institution, whether or not we're a high school, a college, uh, you know what I mean? Whoever it is, a workplace can make a difference um, because we do know that kids and people think of, you know, they have thoughts of suicide. I think it's right now, it's like 18% of our high school students are seriously thinking of suicide. You know, one in not like 9% of high school students have actually attempted suicide. So we, if we get some training and normalize the conversation, then we can ask the question, be a little bit more aware, but also remember that a death, suicide is like a death like no other. And it just can bring up so much stuff for people. Um, and that we uh, as responsible community members really need to handle that right when we're talking about our own community and, 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 and protecting our own community. You mentioned that a death like suicide is a death like no other. And the way that people respond to it mm -hmm. can be so differently than other deaths. It's not the same in the way that people internalize that pain. It's incredibly common that schools and institutions push these suicides under the rug or sweep them away. You know, schools don't want people to think that students at their university are completing suicide or contemplating suicide, but they don't understand the ripple effect that it has and the negative impact that it has when they don't address things properly. Yeah, I think we're learning more. I think um, what I've seen uh, is an evolution of universities really starting to embrace different ways of screening, different ways of training their um, faculty and staff, their RAs. I mean, just really, I think taking it because I think it used to be something where you could hide it. You can't hide this stuff anymore. You can't hide it between uh, all the social media outlets. Uh, kids have, a, students have a voice. And um, I think, um, you know, it's, it's the responsibility of higher ed and other school systems to really, become educated about these untimely deaths and, um, and the impact it can have for the greater community. I agree, I could not agree more. I would love to hear, if you don't mind, um, I, I'm actually gonna restart there and we'll edit that part out. <laughs> you mentioned how and why you started the Jordan Porco Foundation but I imagine there was a period of grieving and mourning the loss of your son um, in between that start. What did the initial mourning and grief process look like? And at what point did you decide you were ready to start the foundation in your son's honor? 
Yeah, um, of course, those are like dark days you don't want to think about, but in reality, I get triggered to this day for all kinds of reasons, like we just had Mother's Day. You know, sometimes it'll just kind of cut you off at the knees and wipe you out for a little bit and you got to acknowledge it. But early on, uh, I developed panic attacks that I never had. Um, so I had, um, you know, I, I had to engage in medication management to deal with that because I had to drive my daughter to school. And so I couldn't be able to be in that kind of situation, right? Um, putting anybody at risk. I, um, you know, just, didn't have any energy. I couldn't get off the couch, didn't pay any bills. Like we didn't care about anything. All of a sudden you just, nothing mattered. And, um, it just, I had a therapist, um, and, you know, started seeing her. We tried to see, um, we, we tried to engage in some grief groups. So we saw different, there were different grief groups available, trying to figure out what the right fit was for us. Um, one of the hardest things for me was I had to start accepting help. So people were bringing meals over, people were fixing things for us, people were shoveling our driveway because it was winter and all these things that were really, really hard for me to be kind of be in receivership, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I had to let some of this stuff go. And I also had to remember that I was, well, it was very clear. I wasn't the same woman anymore. More, I wasn't the same mother. I wasn't the same friend. I wasn't the same wife. I just wasn't that person anymore. And it just, um, just, it was, it was painful. I didn't have a lot of energy. Um, we, we decided early on to do one of the overnight walks for the AFSP. So we gathered up a team of like 70 people that June, mind you, he, he died in February. So that was kind of, so I was doing a lot of walking, like distance walking to kind of get up to the 18 miles. Um, I don't know. I went back to work. Um, I don't know, maybe a month in, and it was more because I wanted to set an example for my daughter because she had, she was a freshman in high school at the high school that her, her brother went to, you know, she was Jordan's little sister, yeah. you know, playing on three soccer teams. You know what I mean? Like I felt like, oh my God, we're expecting her to go and you know what I mean? And get through this. I needed to go back and do my, and I was lucky to work. I was working part-time for a mental health agency and I was surrounded by amazing people, you know, mental health professionals, psychiatrists, like people who got it and like gave me a lot of grace. And so that's one of the things I'd love to impart is that, oh my God, if there's a tragedy like this, you know, show grace in your workplace because this really just throws everybody an entire family just into this, um, this darkness that you can't really, you can get out of it but it takes some work, right? Yeah. Um, I think one of the other things I started doing was gardening. Like I started, I built some raised beds and I just threw myself and got lost in the backyard. And so just the little things that, I mean, so the things that I love to do, things kind of changed a little bit, you know? And, um, and I took advice from my friends and my therapist and actually listened. Like I just, you know what I mean? I'm like, okay, yeah, I can't really figure this out. So I'm going to take the advice of other people. And I have to tell you though, shoulda, woulda, coulda, that happens. What did I miss? What did I do wrong? What did I, what was the conversation? Oh, that haunts you. It haunts you for years. Um, but what I want to bring into this conversation is that um, at Jordan's wake, uh, a, a complete stranger came up to me and said, um, she showed me a necklace and said to me, you don't know who I am, but I lost my son the same way. And my other son was attending school at St. Michael's College. 
and I live in the next town over. And in a few weeks, we're going to come visit you and we're going to bring you a meal. And I have to say to all the mothers and fathers and siblings and best friends that are out there, there is nothing more than um, there's, it's just so healing to be with other people who have a similar story. It's that peer connection that I think really made a difference. So, you know, whether it was the woman's group, grief group that I joined for a couple of years or doing these walks or just meeting other people who had, who had lost a loved one to suicide either years, you know, maybe five years from now, 10, 10 years, you know, prior. And it's like, you can never even, you look at them and you're like, oh, that's not me. I don't even belong in this place. What am I doing? And then all of a sudden I'm that woman now in 2021 that is 10 years out. And so anybody listening to this saying, you know, God, there is hope and being with those people shows you that there's hope, you know, because all of a sudden we're in this weird club that nobody wants to be in, but we can share things and say things that you probably can't necessarily say to just anybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? Kind of all the thoughts that you have in your head that you're like, okay, this is, you know, no, this is what I'm dealing with. Oh my God, it's Mother's Day, another Hallmark, uh, Hallmark uh, holiday, you know what I mean? And it's not so wonderful for everybody and blah, blah, blah. And so I think those are the pieces that got me to where I am today, um, kind of tapping into my creativity, the need to grow things, keep on walking, kind of trying to learn new things. I mean, I find a lot of these things therapeutic. I'm still in therapy. Um, I don't suffer from panic attacks, so I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm just, I just happen to be lucky, I think. Yeah. Um, but and but what I do right now is I honor when I'm when these feelings are bubbling up, when these triggers are bubbling up, when I have no energy, um, when I'm just sad. I just instead of trying to escape from it, I just sit with it. Question for you about finding those support groups, if you are a grieving parent or a grieving family member or even a friend that feels that they need to find a support group like that. Do you have any recommendations to doing so? I, I, I do. Um, and because this is a national show, um, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention has a survivor resources tab on their website and they have um, an outreach program where, and I've been, I, you know, I've been trained for this. I have friends that have been trained for this in Connecticut. Um, if there's an untimely death, you can get a phone call, you can get a Zoom call, you can have in-home visits, depending on what's going on, right? To, to just kind of help you navigate what you're experiencing. Um, I know that there's, there's a lot of support groups run by the AFSP, but there's also support groups run by other grief organizations. Um, in our state, we've got the United Way 211. So it's like a a clearing house, like if you needed to ask, hey, is there a support group in my area? But there are great resources on the internet. Um, and then what I found with some of my friends was they grow up, they either, some of them joined Facebook grieving groups of other moms. Um, so you had people from all over the country. Like, I think it depends on what works for you, okay. but there are, there are people and there are groups for all ages. There's grief groups for young children um, there's kind of these big organizations across the country that can serve. Um, and I know, um, some of the groups are also trying to get, uh, young adults, like, you know what I mean? Like, so if you're 17, 18 years old and you lose a sibling or you lose a friend, sometimes there's just not the right place. You're not a little kid and you're not, you know, a mom or a dad. And so you need that, you need an in-between space to have those kind of conversations you don't want to necessarily have <laughs> in front of other people. Right. Right. Um, 
So there are really, really great resources out there, but if you're looking for some outreach and there's been a tragedy that you know of, there, this survivor outreach program is great. Thank you, I really appreciate that. And it sounds like finding a support system or a community makes a massive difference. One more thing that I wanted to address is that you mentioned the shoulda, coulda, woulda feeling that you say might haunt you for, for years to come. And what would your advice be for people who are feeling that guilt right now that don't know how to face it? I would, I would think that if you can and, the, and the, the parent or whoever is receptive, try to reach out when you're, when you're both comfortable and ready to talk about it, right? Um, because what you're both, you're both sharing the same experience, but it just feels different, right? But it's really the same thing. What did I miss? What did I do? You know, did I do anything wrong? Did I say anything wrong? I mean, it's all this thinking that not, is not necessarily even accurate, right? Because we, I think that some of the pieces of advice that were given to me early on was one of this is we're not God, right? We don't know what's in that person's mind. And for a lot of the research that's been out there, you know, sometimes it's a five minute decision. It's a window of five minutes. And I think, you know, that's a whole nother conversation, but, um, I think what happens in the evolution of um, grieving a loved one, you finally, you play this out over and over and over again, but you finally kind of come up with your story. It doesn't mean that it's not going to come up for you again a year later, six months later or whatever, but you kind of, you find a way to organize it in your mind. Um, and, you know, it's almost like that, that CBT kind of work, right, where you, if you can write it down, if you can journal it, you know, you can take your emotions and you take your logical writing, you know, and you can put it together to kind of synthesize your brain um, to, to kind of make sense of something that's really, really so difficult to make sense of. Um, but I think, you know, from a mom's perspective or a dad's perspective, it's, or a sibling's perspective, it's great to hear stories about things that you maybe you didn't know about that person. Um, you know what I mean? From the friend's perspective. And, and I think just sharing in somebody's grief, like, God, you know, I loved your kid or I loved your, you know, he was a great friend or, you know, that has a ripple effect that is so compounding um, and, and so valuable. And people do want to hear their kid's name said, you know, and their kid remembered. So I hope that answered your question. It did, it did, it more than answered my question. This conversation has actually been very healing and helpful for me uh, as well. So I just imagine that it's gonna be really useful for a lot of people who have lost someone or who have struggled with their mental health in general or you know, been in the space of, of suicide um, and those ideations. So I, I am so thankful and appreciative of your time today and everything that you've shared. And before we close out, I want to have you just plug the, the Jordan Porco Foundation, what's your website? Yeah. How can people find you and, and get involved or support you if they want to? You can find out about our programs at the jordanporcofoundation.org. We have our For What's Next program, which is our psychological resiliency program for um, middle school and high school age students, regardless of their setting. Anybody could facilitate conversation about mental health and coping skills. Um, we have our Fresh Check Day program, which is for colleges. Um, freshcheckday.com and uh, you can see what's going on even if you want to attend a fresh check day there might be one in your neighborhood um, and we have our check-in program which is um, on that same website freshcheckday.com and that's really been a, our we took our college program and we adapted it for um, 
high schools, middle schools, communities, and businesses based on the demand that we were getting from people that wanted to do a fresh check day. So, um, and we have a nine out of 10 ambassador program. So if you know any college students that are studying maybe psychology, sociology, or maybe that they don't have to be studying that, but they have um, a soft space um, for suicide prevention or mental health promotion, we are looking for ambassadors for the next year for the upcoming mm -hmm. academic year. And that's uh, the nine out of 10 ambassadors.org. Um, there's an application online uh, if anybody's interested. And um, again, thank you so much for this opportunity. Amazing, thank you so much. I'm so excited to release this and to be able to get this message and your message and story out to as many people as possible. So I so appreciate your time and you sharing all the information that you did. And thank you for our listeners. This is Brains Out Loud and we are done for today.